How many love Jesus today? You love him? Let me try that again. How many love Jesus today? There you go. Maybe I need to just emphasize Jesus a little bit more in the house. It's Labor Day weekend, the end of a summer that has been fabulous here. Of course, the state fair is ending, and now there's opportunity as people turn the corner. Traditionally, schools begin this week, although many schools in the area have already started. Colleges and universities, as well as elementary and middle and high schools. And I want to honor those of you that are engaged in education in the communities around us as we turn the corner this past Wednesday, our prayer service we prayed hard for everyone that's going to be involved in the schools as we launch as a church. One of the things that I know and I believe in for both of our campuses, and that is that the place of commonality with our neighborhoods is really the schools. Our, all of our kids go to the schools, and that's the meeting point. And I'm praying, and we're praying as a church, that God would move in a big way in the schools in our area. If you're here today, and you are a teacher, administrator, a parent, or you work with kids in the school system, or in any, any level, and it could be in any type of system, public or private, you just put your hand up. I want to see where you're at. Give it up for all of our teachers, leaders, those investing, and yeah. So... And then let me ask this question. How many of you are a student at this point in your journey? You're a student. Somewhere, some school. How many are in the school of hard knocks? All right. We're all students growing somewhere. If you come to this church on Sunday, you are a student because we're all studying the marvelous, matchless word of God. Come on, somebody. How many have your Bibles? Put them up. Let me see you got your Bibles. We're going to use them just a few moments as we go into part three of hashtag winning been looking at the idea that everyone has a story uh, underneath the surface for successful people, that you aren't just seeing the successful moments. I remember hearing T.D. Jakes, one of my favorite preachers of all time, he said to younger preachers, you're looking at the end of the movie, he said. You want to be just like me, but you're looking at the end of the movie. And the reality is, is that there's always a story behind the success that we see, that there's something underneath the surface, like an iceberg that has 90% of its volume underneath the water that we cannot see. Success has other things underneath the surface. And of course, we've been looking at the things that it takes to develop a successful winning life. And Paul has a lot to say to us in the scripture as well as other passages in the scripture, all pointing us towards a pathway of life following Jesus, but becoming all that he's designed us to be. And last week, in particular, we paused and I asked you at the end of the service to take your phones out and text somebody one thing that you know that you need to stop doing and say no to, and one thing you need to say yes to, and then you're to text somebody. So I want to I wanna do a little follow-up to last week. Take your phones out. And uh, I want you to text those same people how the week went. Did you say yes and did you say no to those things? Did you say yes to the things that would help you follow God's design for your life? And did you begin to say no to that one thing? And maybe it was Diet Coke or maybe it was whatever it was that you were knowing you need to say no to. Go ahead and text them right now. All right. As we go into part three, the title of today's message is Leading Your Emotions. Leading Your Emotions. 
I want to begin by interviewing someone who I believe is one of the most successful leaders I know in my life, and I am grateful for her place in my life. Would you welcome with me to the platform Dr. Lori Dykstra? Have a seat. Welcome to the Nate Roos show here. I feel like I'm on a talk show or something. And uh, Lori, you have so many things. I'll give a little bit of a quick bio so that you don't have to. But Lori has, uh, she grew up in our church when it was for the Assembly of God. She went off to college. She was a school teacher in Minnesota and also in Utah. She served in Convoy of Hope, helping those people in need and coordinating big disaster relief type things as well as taking care of needs in local communities. Then she came home to Minnesota and, uh, and she taught at Blaine High School in math. And while she was there, she um, also dreamed up a new program, the SEMS program at Blaine High School. And now it has, how many people are in that program? About 750. 750 people. So she was essentially like the principal of that program. She was the, the Mount Rushmore person on, on, on the, in the story at Blaine High School. It's a powerful story. And, of course, along the way, she also continued to develop herself. She got her doctorate in education. She's a credentialed minister. And three years ago, um, right at the height of, of the dream there at Blaine High School, I came in into Emmanuel, and I had memories when she was a youth leader of mine, when I was a youth pastor here at the church back in the day, and she was my right-hand person, lining out leadership development stuff and did a lot of volunteer work that really made a difference in grooming and growing a large leadership team that we had back in the day. So I come back in as the senior pastor at the church, and we needed somebody to oversee our next-gen kids and youth area from an administrative perspective, and I called her up and I said, Lori, would you be willing to leave all that great stuff at Blaine High School and come and work at Emmanuel. She prayed about it. She said, yes, thank you, Jesus. Came in and has made a big difference. And then one year ago, yeah, one year ago, uh, I asked her to step in the role of executive pastor over ministry staff. We also have an executive pastor, Paul Kelly, over our operations. But Lori literally oversees and serves and works with all the pastors and leaders from our campuses and, and helping us stay in alignment. I'm still their pastor and I still care, but she makes sure the details get done. How many know you need those kind of people around you? Amen. So today I want to interview her because she's got, from a personal perspective, a life story. And that life story has things underneath the water. There's things like the... the the, the, the water may only, you might not be able to see everything in her life. You might see the executive pastor title. You might see the doctor in front of her name. But maybe underneath the surface of the iceberg, there's more to that story. So I just want to kind of take a moment before I go on and preach a little bit and get a little more of the story. So, Lori, how did you become such a rock star leader? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I can't start this conversation without being grateful for the heritage that I have, the Christian heritage, both um, at my home and in and this church. And as a young child and as a teenager, I memorize so much of God's word and I really feel like with Christ as my center and knowing so much of the word, that that really has been my foundation. And I firmly believe in Ephesians 2.10 that says, um, we are God's workmanship, he created all of us. And he created things for us to do. And so for my whole life, I have always felt like I have been called by God. 
Um, I wasn't preaching from the platform, but I felt like in whatever arena I was in, I needed to be doing those things that God had prepared for me to do because no one else was going to do them. And it also says in the gospel that when you're faithful with the little things, that God brings you greater things. And so one of my goals throughout my life has just been, let's do everything that's in front of me with excellence. And as I have done that, God has opened so many doors. It's been amazing. And I think the other thing is I have not been afraid to test the doors. So Pastor Nate, even when you called me three years ago, uh, last month and asked me, you know, would I quit my job? I mean, I wasn't looking for a job. I loved what I was doing. I, I was extremely successful. And yet I, I stopped and said, okay, is God trying to move me somewhere else? And with the prayer and counsel of other people, I decided, yeah, I should jump into this. So sometimes it's leaving the things that are great because God has something better for us. And I was never afraid to test those doors. And um, maybe because of that, I've lived in three states and all those kinds of things. But I also, um, throughout that entire journey, I've also learned how to embrace the next generation. So I have, in my teaching career, not been afraid to come alongside those new teachers and learn from them. And as I was learning from them, that gave me the platform to bring in some of my expertise to them. Um, and I was thinking about this this morning, even so much as learning the vocabulary of the new culture, like when I grew up, sick meant disgusting. <laughs> and now sick means like great or wonderful. And like if you put sick and nasty together, it's like really great. Ha hashtag. Yeah. And when I was growing up, like that was the epitome of disgusting, you know? So, um, learning how to learn that culture and learn that language and then say it at the appropriate times. Um, all those things that gives you the right or the doorway, I guess, into people's lives to be able to lead them and, and to help them in the areas that I'm strong in. Well, one of the things that's, I mean, it's phenomenal because you are interested in the younger, newer generations that's kind of kept you young. Um, but that's not the same thing as being young. Remember when Pastor Dan used to say, if you want to be young, hang out with the young. If you want to die young, try to keep up with them. Um, <laughs> so there are boundaries, and you know yourself. You're probably one of the most self-aware people I know, meaning you know yourself. You know your limitations, your strengths, your weaknesses. And, uh, you know, talk a little bit about knowing yourself. Um, I'm assuming that you're not an extrovert like me, uh, so which means that challenges your life. And talk a little bit about knowing yourself. Sure. Well, I think the, you know, I read a book back in the day that was talking about our different personalities and intrigued me. And I also know from Psalm 139 that God has made us wonderfully, and so let's figure out how he made us. And so I just studied the topic and applied it and... Um, been able to laugh, I guess, at myself and realize that as you are the extrovert, I am the introvert, and my friends that are close to me know, like, don't invite me to a party of more than eight people because <laughs> I won't want to come. And I may feel obligated to come, but I will be miserable because I don't do the social large group thing well, and I know that about myself. So I can be prepared when I go to those things or ask for a task because if I have a task, I'm better. 
um, at those things, but also not comparing myself to you. Like, you have a role and I have a role, and if we can learn how to blend those together, instead of me trying to be the extrovert, which I'm not, um, then I can just be okay with being the introvert. And I think also, um, having been married to a guy who was a therapist, um, I think probably one of my greatest weaknesses is compassion and grace. And I remember I would, you know, be complaining to Bob about a certain person or, you know, going, oh, why are they doing that, you know? And he'd always stop and look at me and he goes, I wonder what they're going through. And I'd think to myself, I don't really care what they're going through. Um, and so it was really an incredible journey with him to learn what, that, what compassion looks like and what does grace look like and things that I was very weak in that he was strong in and I could learn from him and see my blind spots and um, be able to pray and ask the Holy Spirit and say, hey, I know that you've called us to be loving and compassionate. It's not my natural thing. So can the Holy Spirit help me with that? And I think that's another thing that I have done throughout the years is just prayed about my strengths and my weaknesses. Just coming to God honestly and just saying, here's who I am. Can you empower me to be stronger in my strengths, but then help me in my weaknesses to overcome them? Wow, that's powerful stuff right there. Let me, uh, let me transition a bit. Um, you mentioned Bob. Bob was your husband. He was a pastor on staff here at the church. Talk about your worst day. Sure. So actually five years ago last Sunday, it was my worst day when Bob unexpectedly died. And, um, you know, it's never easy, obviously, to walk through loss of that kind. And I remember, I have this vivid memory of that morning, and I don't really know if it was before I called 911 or after I called 911, but I remember saying, here we go, God. Because I knew, no matter the outcome of the day, that I would need God to be with me. And as it turned out, you know, a few hours later, um, we knew that he was not going to make it, and he had entered into eternity with Jesus. And um, I'm so grateful for people, first of all, but I'm also grateful for the Word, because I remember those first few months that I just kept praying, okay, God, your word says that you are faithful to keep me till the end. And I have no idea how you're going to do that, but I do know that I don't want to lose my faith. I don't want to be bitter. I don't, you know, I don't want to be isolated. Um, I know you still have a plan for me. I, I want to accomplish all that, but I have no way how that's going to happen. So I need you to be true to your word and keep me. And I think also, you know, the verse in Isaiah 55 that talks about how God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And in a situation like that, you want to come up with an answer, you know, like, why, God? There's so many whys. And I, I just refuse to come up with a cutesy little trite answer to why God, why Bob died and just said, okay, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. And I know that your ways are higher than my ways. And um, I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, it's really easy to have pity parties. <laughs> and I guess I probably had plenty of them. But um, it's harder to pull yourself up and say, okay, I'm going to move forward. 
And I'm reminded of the verse in 2 Corinthians where it talks about taking our thoughts captive. And there's so many verses in God's word that are calling us to action. And like when we pray that there's an action also on our part, that as we pray, God equips us to do that action. And I think of that verse because taking captive thoughts is an act of our will. And so, you know, yes, I had my moments of grieving and you saw plenty of those moments. Um, but I also um, had the ability to just say, okay, God, with your help, I'm taking these thoughts captive and I'm gonna move forward and I'm gonna still accomplish the things that you have for me to do. Lori, you are an exemplary example of what it means to trust the Lord, even in your emotional world, to not let it destroy the friendships around you or your future. Five years later, thank you for not giving up and persevering. Would you give it up for Dr. Lori Dykstra? I want you to buckle up because I'm about to take off. <laughs> and I want to start with a question that I want you to ask of yourself. What's it like to be around me on my worst day? I mean, what, a, what, a, what are you like? Are you an imploder? Are you an exploder? Do you shut down? Do you take it out on people around you? Do you internalize the stress and it becomes a physical issue for you? I know people who medicate because they can't deal with what's going on on the inside. Emotions are a very real thing and they're very much a part of the way God has made us. They're not to be denied, but they need to be led. They need to be directed because Emotions that go unattended, they aren't dealt with, have disastrous consequences. They can destroy relationships of the people around us. Listen to me. Successful people, winning people, don't let their worst day destroy their relationships or their future. They don't cut down a forest that took decades to grow. Somehow they're able to navigate their internal world so that they can continue fulfilling God's vision for the outside world. You see, my insecurity can lead to a destruction of the world around me, or my security can strengthen the people around me when others face their challenges. And friends, today, the Bible is full of helpful, inspirational instructions for us to win in our emotional world. Turn to the person next to you and say, I want you to win. Did you know that it is possible to become mature and to grow in this aspect of our life? Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I love this passage and I want you to think about it this week. Jot it down because it should be your compass, if you will. It should be your directional roadmap. Maturity is the state of being mature. It's adulthood. It's the coming of age. It's progress from childhood 
to maturity, responsibility, and, and, and common sense, and level-headedness. And you might have heard a phrase like, he displayed a maturity beyond his years. There is a sense of growth to that. A two-year-old that has a tantrum on the floor can be disciplined and directed, but it's very different for a 25-year-old to have a tantrum on the floor. So there is an expectation of growth. There's an expe expectation to move through phases, through elementary age and middle school and college and so forth. There should be development. And that training is intended by God to be done by parents. Parents are to train up their children in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. But the training aspect is something that we also learn from the models that we have. Training meaning how the parent responds to emotions gets mimicked or mirrored by the children. So we want behavior that's good from our kids, but they're more likely to gain our model and how we respond to, to the events of our life than they will from our instruction of what they can and can't do. So this is where it gets really serious and it becomes difficult for us because we don't want to acknowledge our worst day. We want to have our Facebook profile out there our success stories. We want to tell everybody else about who we are on our best day. But our emotional management is best understood on our worst day. Learning to lead what's going on on the inside. Again, Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I love this because the language is that of training, just like last week when we talked about training versus trying. But we develop our powers of discernment. This could be like a supernatural marvel type of thing. We, we can practice those, the discernment, the ability to determine what's truth from what's not truth. We can develop that through training and really the gym for us our gym for developing that is life itself parents are to take the emotional uh, experiences that their kids are going through and to train them in the experience if a parent goes in and they declare a kid is a bad kid or a good kid they aren't doing their kids any they're not doing any service to them because the, the kid, kid learns if I feel bad, that means I am bad. That's not the way that God would view it. Instead, what we are to do is we are to observe the behavior, perhaps the misuse of emotion, and train them through discipline how the, the feeling and the emotion is real. How many know the struggle is real? Hashtag the struggle is real. The struggle is real, but even as the struggle is real, we need to learn to discern, is the emotion that I'm feeling and the, the, the words that are going into my head and the action that I feel like doing in this emotion, is that a truth step or is that a misstep? And the scripture says that I have the ability in each of my experiences to learn from those things. And by the way, when you have a bad day and you do make a mistake. Perhaps you said something crass to somebody around you. You hurt a loved one that's close to you, or you withdrew from people. And later on, the Holy Spirit brings it up in your mind that you maybe shouldn't have done that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. 
That is not an opportunity to reinforce a narrative that you're a bad person and that you can't change. This is an opportunity for you to pause and say, Holy Spirit, I didn't like what just happened. Train me to think different or to choose the right pathway in the middle of my emotion. That's good stuff. You can say amen to that. Unfortunately, some people never reach maturity in their emotional world. They're stuck. They're kids. They're 40 years old, and they're still an adolescent in their emotional world. And then they wonder why every place that they go, they keep experiencing the same thing. Went from one church to the other church, from one school to the other school, job to job to job. And every place, people keep rejecting me. After a while, and people come in and they counsel in my office, I have to look at them honestly and say, I don't think after hearing your story that the problem is everyone keeps rejecting you. Something in your emotional world is causing you to misread what's going on and you're choosing the wrong path. If a person can begin to own their own emotions, if they begin to understand who they are, they have the possibility of moving out of the repeated cyclical behavior that they've been in. Instead of being a responder to life circumstances, when your boss is having a bad day, you have a bad day, or being a victim, but, you know, I can only be happy if my wife says I can be happy. I can only be happy if my teacher's happy with me. I can only be happy if, my, if the experience is right. No, that's living like the, you need a bottle in your mouth. That spiritual and emotional immaturity. But we can learn to move out of that, as Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do what? Everything through him who gives me strength. Literally, in any and every circumstance, the scripture says that as we begin to follow Jesus, even if you didn't have a good parental model, even if you've been living a certain way for years and years and years, if you are a disciple, a learner under discipline, following Jesus Christ and the word of God, you can develop the maturity that allows you to have self-control in any circumstance, to choose the fruit of the spirit and to set as something else. And by the way, God will never put you in a place where your only option is sin. He will never put you in a place where your only option is sin. You can learn to become mature in how you live. An emotionally and spiritually mature person can look at the moment that they are in and feel every emotion that is real. And they can say to themselves, I don't like what I feel, but I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can make it through this. Victims say, I can't. You are not a victim. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are not a victim. <laughs> now, there's a phrase that's kind of crept into our culture that has come in, and it's the term emotional intelligence. How many of you have heard of that? And it's based on this idea of study that even though people are intellectually intelligent, it's even better to be emotionally intelligent, to understand yourself and to understand the people around you because somehow that enables you to take the skills that you have and work well with other people. 
Coaches want emotionally intelligent leaders on their, their teams. People that are, are, are business owners and, and they're hiring, they want people on their team that are emotionally intelligent. Let me give you four areas or four skills of emotional management or leadership that we need to have in our life. First one is this, self-awareness. Self-awareness is recognizing what's happening on the inside. Self-aware people have the ability to stop looking at everybody else and what they're doing to me, stop thinking about what somebody just said to me or what was done to me, to pause and to look inwardly and to say, this is what I am feeling. Self-aware people know their own limitations. They understand that they, can't, they, they aren't like everyone else. They might know their own strengths and their weaknesses. Self-awareness is huge. The second skill is this, self-management. Self-management is the ability to control the reaction to the feeling. So the feeling comes up, but you know, do I have self-control or do I take it out on the people around me? Do I make a misstep after I feel that emotion? Do I go to the bottle and drink? Do I uh, go online and look at pornography because I'm feeling lonely? What is it, the, the action that we're taking? Good self-management has the capacity to respond appropriately. And by the way, in self-management, in knowing yourself, you know your own limitations. For example, you are different when you get sleep and when you don't. So if you're going to manage yourself and how you relate to people around you, you choose to get more sleep so that you can be okay. The difference between um, despair and hope is what? Eight hours of sleep. <laughs> it's true, right? So good self-management understands how you respond and what things set you off and where your buttons are and making choices to manage that so that you don't inappropriately take it out and explode on the people in your life. Third is social awareness. Social awareness is the awareness of how you impact others. This moves to the next level. If I can understand who I am, now I begin to think about how do I impact others? I asked the question at the beginning of my message. How do people feel around me on my worst day? What am I like to be around on my worst day? Well, you and I can, can look at our own uh, relationship with people. Have you noticed if people cringe when you walk in the room or they relax? Do you notice when you get into your favorite topic, and it could be politics, it could be whatever, that people start shutting up because they're uncomfortable? People that aren't aware of that social aspect of it actually destroy the relationships until they learn to evaluate that piece. Why are people, and by the way, it's good to have a trusted, good friend that can say the truth to you to let you know. But some people, they never have that opportunity. They aren't in a place where they've heard back. They need, to, they need to address their social awareness. Then the fourth piece coupled with that is social management, the ability to positively respond to others. So if somebody treats you wrong, says the wrong thing to you, how do you respond in that setting? You can be self-aware, but you need to manage yourself. But you also need to be aware of the people around you and how can you handle things differently? Parents can teach their kids that. Hey, I understand you're upset, but taking a bat out and hitting your brother in the head was not a good reaction to that, right? It wasn't quite that way in our house, but you get my point. 
What we have to learn is not only to recognize our emotion, what to do with the emotion, and how to appropriately take it to the people that are around us. No matter where you find your skills, we all can mature in our ability to lead our own emotional world by turning to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. God is the one who designed us, and he gave us emotions. So that we need to go back to the creator of emotion if we want to figure out how to work through that. And I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and why we need to talk to him as we learn to manage and lead our own emotions. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says this, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Come on, somebody. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love this passage because it says that Jesus has emotions too, is tested in the same ways we are, and he chose with his level powers of discernment to not sin. You and I can go to Jesus knowing that he understands us. When you pray, you're not talking to somebody that looks at you and thinks you're an idiot because you feel a certain way. You are talking to the ultimate person who is empathizing with you and your weaknesses. He understands what you're going through, and when you talk to him, he doesn't push you away. Come on, somebody. That's our Jesus. And he gets us like no one else will get us because he was there at the very beginning of our story. I know that scientists would like to say that the baby in the womb is just a fetus. It's a baby shaped by God in the womb. Psalm 139 says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And some people are more complex than others, amen? Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I love this passage. You need to read it through again and again, even this week. Because it says that God was there at the very beginning, shaping you, giving you your particular type of emotions. He knew you. He wired you to be an introvert or an extrovert, and it's okay. It's okay to think like you think. Now, here's the thing. He also knows what happened after you came out of the birth canal. It says that he knew our days. Some versions say he has a calendar written out for us. He knew that we would go through experiences. So whether it's nature or nurture is irrelevant. God knows the beginning, the process, and he knows where you are right now. Better than any psychotherapist on the planet, he understands you. He understands you. 
And then this is what's cool, because listen, really at the core of why we act inappropriately in the middle of our emotional moments is because we're insecure. Insecure people do stupid things. They push the most important people out of their life and sometimes embrace the wrong people. Or they pursue the wrong result because they're insecure. They're covering up. They're throwing their shield up. But insecurity can be replaced with security when our emotional world is connected to God. And we find our identity in Jesus, not the job we have that we might lose at some point, not the relationships around us only that we have that we love so much. But even if we lost them, we still have Jesus. Our security is not in how other people view us. Our security is in how God views us and loves us so much that he gave his one and only son for us. And that's why we go to Jesus. Listen to what the message version of Hebrews chapter 4 says. It says, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Isn't that good? So let me give you God's way of leading our emotions quickly, three ways that God wants us to go on the pathway in dealing with our emotions. And by the way, I could do a whole series on emotions and there's no way I could grapple with everything. And those of you that have studied psychology and those of you gone through your own counseling experiences, you're like, yeah, but this and this and this, and you're not including this. I can't include it all right now or else I could. We could preach all day long if you'd like me to. God's way of leading our emotions. That's my way of saying, I know you don't want me to preach till midnight tonight. Number one. Confession. First John 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Confession is a New Testament word that comes from two Greek words, homo logeo, which means to speak the same thing. To God is what he already sees. Scripture says that he sees the whole earth. Confession is opening the door to let God see into us what he already knows is there. Confession is not just about sin. Confession is about an open door policy with God where nothing is hidden between you and him. That you process everything with God. When the emotions arise, they can be shared with the Lord. In other words, you begin your day as as Dr. Lori talked about on the, her worst day, the moment that, that Bob went to be with Jesus, she turned to the Lord and she said, all right, Lord, you're going to have to help me through this. Instead of covering up, screaming, wailing, yelling, or whatever she could have done, her first response was to open it up to God. Now, she's had her moments. But what I'm saying is we can learn to process every day with God our anger, our frustration, our joys. And we've got to learn how to process with God so that when we have successes, it doesn't become pride. We enthrone God in our success. And when we're struggling, we need to trust him in the middle of our struggle. So it's not just about the bad emotions, it's also about the good ones. And learning to process with God every day. It's what King David did in the Psalms. Everything that he went through when he had relational difficulties, he processed it with God. And it didn't have to be theologically correct. I've said it before, but with David, it was just, Lord, 
my best friend turned his back on me. Kill him, you know. That's how David sang it. So it didn't have to be perfect language. You read it. Crush his teeth. Run him into the ground, Lord. Our challenge is, our challenge is that we often want to take the emotion we feel, and it's a real emotion, but we process it inappropriately. We take it to Facebook, and we throw it out there, and people like it. It reinforces the wrong processing. We don't use discernment in how we process. Or we take to somebody else, or we medicate it, or we try, to, we try to avoid people, or we crawl up into a ball. But in reality, the very first thing we should be able to do is to talk to the Lord about it. Lord, I just lost my job. I don't know what I'm going to do. Help. God, I just got the promotion. Thank you, Lord. I'll write the tithe check this Sunday, you know, or whatever. <laughs> what I'm saying is learning to process with God alleviates inappropriate processing with others. Okay? King David in Psalm 32, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. You know what true freedom is? True freedom isn't perfect circumstances. True freedom is absolute partnership with God. Absolute in all ways. Good, evil, all the stuff inside, it's all yours. It's like an umbilical cord that takes all the junk out of us and brings heaven back into our soul. Confession opens the door to God and closes the door to Satan. Confession opens the door to God and closes the door to Satan. If you're not confessing, if you're not partnering with God in relationship to him, then what happens is your door is open to Satan. Close the door by bringing it to God. Can I get an amen? Secondly, secondly, in processing our emotions, community. It's just a word, but it's a God type of word. See, God created in the Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, you'll see the story of creation. And God created all things. He created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, it says. And, and he created the animals, and he saw it, and it was good. And, and he created humanity, and he said it was good. But then there was something interesting that happens. Right at the moment, the first time God says it was not good, was Adam was alone. Now, I'm not talking about this in the context of marriage today. Please understand me. But it's not good for us to process things alone, to be isolated, and to pull away. Many people that struggle with sin or they tr struggle with whatever's going on, their first instinct is to get away. Get away from church. Get away from people. And it's the worst thing we can do because we open ourselves up to attack. And what community, biblical community is, is God creates something called the church, the called out ones that are called the body of Christ. And each one is different than the other, but we all need each other. Strengths and weaknesses are different, but at the end of the day, we need one another. People are important to our growth emotionally. 
If you are a person that struggles in a particular area, you need to follow mentors who are leading their emotions. Don't just hang out with a bunch of people that are falling into the same stuff you're falling into. Hang and follow with the people who are conquering and leading their own emotions. Confess your sins or confess your challenges with those brothers and sisters. That's why we're having connect groups and we're making that emphasis that's coming up here. And I, I want to challenge everybody to just for four weeks be involved in the Fearless series. And if you don't want to find a group in the lobby, you know, maybe you want to start one with just one friend or another person and you can get involved in that way. We want people connected. Connection prevents the enemy from wiping us out and it opens the door for heaven to come in. We need to be connected in biblical community. Third thing, Pastor Martin, Pastor John Carlos, if you guys could come worship. Replace lies with truth. See, the reality is our mind runs all over the place sometimes. In the middle of emotion, we can't even control some of our thoughts. They, they come up unbidden. What lie or what voice are you going to hold on to? The way to take that lie and replace it with truth is by reading the word, first of all. What does the word say about me? The word says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The word says that I am a son or a daughter adopted in the family of God. The word says that I need relationship with others in the body of Christ. And we replace the lies with truth. God will never put you in a place where your only option is to sin. And through sharpening your powers of discernment, you have the ability to choose the right way. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Church, I want all of us to win in the area of our emotions. In school, at home, at work, in our relationships that are around us. I want us to practice confession today to speak the same thing to God as what he already sees. And I want us to mature in our emotions. Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Would you stand with me today?